the big problems that people are having are too much stress, too much caffeine, and then too much stimulation of the brain. 10, 3, 2, 1. No caffeine 10 hours before sleep. No food three hours before sleep. No work two hours before sleep. And one is no blue light or no screens one hour before. So if you've got your iPhone in front of your face 10 minutes before you're trying to fall asleep, you're telling your brain that it should be awake, which is triggering cortisol. The higher your cortisol is at night, the less sleep hormones can kick in. Welcome to Mental Edge Lifestyle Podcast, where we talk to experts from around the world about PTSD, financial stress, sleep, mind-body connection, addiction, depression, fitness, and more. You will hear from others who have struggled, overcame obstacles, and continue to thrive. This is where you will learn the tools and resources you need to have a healthy mind and a healthy life. Hey everyone, Mental Edge Lifestyle Podcast coming at ya. I'm back with Dr. Callum Cowan. I had him on the podcast, I think it was episode three. So if you haven't listened to that, I encourage you to listen to that uh, and then listen to this one or this one and then that one. So Dr. Callum is a board certified naturopathic doctor and leading authority and practitioner of high performance medicine. His approach focuses on maximizing the health of his patients to get them feeling amazing, performing phenomenally, and maintaining optimal health to prevent the occurrence of illness and injury. I speak often of this gentleman. I speak very highly of him. He has helped me in ways that I never imagined possible. So I really encourage people to check him out after you listen to these episodes. And in this episode, we're going to talk all about sleep the importance of sleep, why you have sleep disturbances, optimal amount of sleep, different ways to help you sleep better. We talk about medications, his stance on medications, and different things like napping. Is it bad? Is it good? How long should you nap for? We touch a little bit on shift work and what you can kind of do to get your best sleep if you're a shift worker. And just different levels or different baseline tests you can take that will kind of help you optimize sleep, really, and live a a better life mentally and not be so exhausted all the time because life can get busy. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Let me know what you think. And here we go. Mental Edge Lifestyle Podcast with Dr. Callum Cowan. So I'm sitting down again with Dr. Cowan, who was a guest a while back on one of my first few episodes. He's a naturopathic doctor. We'll get into, or you can kind of refer back to that episode if you want to learn more about him, but got his own practice in Burlington, Ontario, Canada, Phenom High Performance Medicine. So I credit, obviously, Dr. Cowan, I talk about you a lot to a lot of people. Um, I credit you a lot with my success and my well-being because I met you and it really turned a lot of things around. So definitely thankful for that so thanks again man awesome you're welcome man it's been, it's been a fun journey yeah I've kind of, i think i've been with you pretty much since the start of your practice so what i wanted to talk to you about today was sleep especially i know from the first responder world like with shift work and i guess any shift worker it's definitely tough let's just get right into sleep like what is the optimal amount of sleep we need to perform because there's so much out there six hours eight hours yeah yeah, it's a lot of discrepancy. I mean, what the evidence is showing right now is that every person needs at least seven hours of sleep. So there's a super small percent of the population, like one or two percent of the population that has a certain gene mutation that can get away with less sleep. But for the most part, it's like seven hours minimum if you're an adult. 
And then more than that, if you're younger, if you're a teen or if you're a kid, like toddlers need, you know, upwards of 12 hours, 12 to 14 hours as a toddler. But for an adult, you need a minimum of seven just to have all the benefits of sleep. And the more that's being discovered about sleep, the more that they're understanding there's so many implications for sleep. You know, obviously energy and mood for sure are going to be impacted, but you know, your immune system, your metabolism, the ability to form memories. I mean, there's so many other implications of sleep that it's becoming more and more of a focus with our patients and especially with our high performers, whether you're a high performer type of first responder, if you're a business person, if you're an athlete, you've got to tap into the benefits of sleep and so many of us are. So, and before we get into kind of like, I guess, hacks on how we can get a better sleep at night. So I guess there's like realistically four stages of sleep. Because when I look at, and I think most of probably my generation may be older and younger, but everyone's looking at their Apple Watch or their Fitbit and everything, and it shows your sleep tracker, right? So when I see that and it says, okay, REM or light sleep, deep sleep, like where should we be? What stages are good? Is deep sleep really good? Too much of it? Too little of it? Yeah, deep sleep is the most important one. So deep sleep is where you're going to have all those big benefits. So like there was a study that just came out last week actually showing that deep sleep actually causes a wave of your lymphatic fluid, like your immune fluid that washes over your brain during deep sleep. So basically detoxifies your brain. So if you're not getting into deep sleep, which you can track on a number of devices now, Apple Watch, Whoop Band, Aura Ring, you can even use apps like Sleep Cycle, the low cost app, I think it's a few dollars. It'll give you a rough indication of how much time you're spending in those cycles. And you want to get at least like one to two hours of deep sleep in an eight hour stretch of sleep. That's the goal. So it should be about 20% of your sleep should be in deep sleep. There's a lot of talk about REM sleep. So REM sleep, is there's not much known about the benefits of it aside from like creativity and memory and learning benefits. But the main physiological benefits from sleep are in deep sleep. So like physical repair. So like whatever you've done to your body that day gets repaired during deep sleep. Your metabolism gets reset during deep sleep. If you have one night of disturbed sleep, it will slow your metabolic rate down, slow your metabolism down. That's that impactful, right? Your immune system gets recharged at nighttime during deep sleep. Your brain detoxifies. Like all the big, huge benefits from sleep are happening in deep sleep. Whereas REM sleep stands for rapid eye movement. So basically your brain is on, but your body's paralyzed in REM sleep. So there's not a ton known about REM sleep right now, but I would say for the people listening to be tracking and monitoring what ratio of deep sleep you're having in your sleep window. So if you're sleeping for eight hours, how much of that is deep sleep? So you want to get about 20% of it as deep sleep. So when like I look at something, again, I'll just refer to like Fitbit or Apple Watch, like light sleep that pops up. Have you ever seen that? Is that the same thing? Yeah. No, light sleep is like the preliminary stages. So there's a number of stages that happen before you get to deep sleep, right? So the only ones that really matter are how much time you're spending in deep sleep because that'll tell you what's happening. If you're spending a lot of time in light sleep, that's typically a cortisol issue, an anxiety issue, which is actually the most common thing. We see in our patients all the time, people can fall asleep okay, but then they're waking up frequently or they're just surface level sleeping throughout the night. And if you're not getting into that deep level of sleep, then you're not getting all the benefits of it. And you're going to wake up feeling like you didn't sleep or wake up feeling tired, not feeling like recharged like you should be. And a lot of that is the anxiety and stress hormones that are being off for people during the day, which also translates to them being off at night. So we actually measure that with people. Like we did that with you too. We do our 
four-point saliva test, if you remember that one. So the evening sample shows us what your nighttime cortisol is like. So if your nighttime cortisol is elevated, your sleep hormones can't kick in, right? Only one hormone can be active at a time, either cortisol or melatonin. So that's why taking more melatonin doesn't always work. The strategy is to lower nighttime cortisol to allow your sleep hormones to kick in. So we do that a, a ton with people, especially like our athletes, especially our NHL guys and hockey players, that their sleep at night is disturbed because they've just been active and played a game and your body gets used to that rhythm and then it has high cortisol at night even when you're not playing a game. Then you can't fall asleep or if you do fall asleep, it's very light sleep. So deep sleep resets everything. So that resets the stress levels, the, the cortisol yes. levels. So and you said two, ideally you want two deep sleeps per night. Why two? So it'll cycle through, right? So you'll go through those stages of sleep and then you'll hit your deep sleep right before you hit your REM. And then you'll go through that again. So you just want to have a total of about 20% of deep sleep when you're looking at your ratios. So you'll go through a number of cycles of sleep in the night, but you want to get at least two hours of that being deep sleep. Makes sense. So what kind of, as I mentioned, like the hack stuff. So what, I guess we could call it sleep hacks. Like what should we be doing then to help us fall asleep at night? Yeah, that's good. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of big problems, right? So one is I kind of use a formula with our patients and we tell them to follow this. It's called 10-3-2-1. So 10 stands for no caffeine 10 hours before sleep. Three is no food three hours before sleep. Two is no work two hours before sleep. And one is no blue light or no screens one hour before. I think I have the post up on my Instagram too. If you go to um, at phenom underscore doc. I have it up there as a diagram, I think probably maybe a couple months back, but it lays it out. So 10, 3, 2, 1. Those are things that you can really do to prevent your brain from being overstimulated at nighttime. So the big problems that people are having are too much stress, too much caffeine, and then too much stimulation of the brain. So like, I know we've talked about this before, and I think I got you to get one of those Verilux lights for the morning to give you that morning response. So yeah. the way your body works is, is based on a circadian rhythm. So your whole brain and body is designed to read the sun up and sun down, right? So when the sun comes up, your eyes read the light, it kickstarts a whole bunch of processes for your body to work. And the same thing at nighttime, as the sun goes down, your eyes read that and it turns on your sleep processes. So if you've got your iPhone in front of your face, 10 minutes before you're trying to fall asleep, you're telling your brain that it should be awake which is triggering cortisol, the higher cortisol is at night, the less sleep hormones can kick in. So you're blocking that. So either put the filter on your phone where it blocks the blue light, put on the blue light blocking glasses. Like we have a lot of our patients who wear those glasses at night if they have to do work on their computer or tablet or phone late at night, or just get rid of the screen an hour before so you don't have that immediate stimulation. If the blue light's hitting your eyes, it's waking your brain up. So the signal is that you should be awake. And then you're trying to fall asleep to go against that. It's going to disrupt the whole stages of sleep, all those cycles. Yeah, it changes everything. So, yeah, that light that I bought too that you recommended, yeah. it's pretty cool. And it's, it's way calmer than an alarm <laughs> when I wake yeah. up, right? the different settings. And so you said no work two hours before. So that really explains like a lot of people, you play nighttime hockey, let's say, and then you're up for hours afterwards. So you really shouldn't do, you shouldn't do anything, right? Working out. Yeah, like a few hours before you're trying to sleep, if you're doing like heavy brain work or physical activity or whatever, you need a couple of hours to wind down. 
like your nervous system needs to calm down. You need to turn your brain off. The brain is one of the most metabolically active organs in the body, right? So if you're up thinking and strategizing about business or what you got to do and all these things, your brain's very active. It's using a lot of strain, right? If you need to kind of do something mindless or listen to a podcast or listen to an audio book or just do something relaxing where you're not engaging physical or mental energy. The whole no caffeine too, 10 hours before. That's really interesting. So, and I'm sure you've had this conversation with people. I know I've talked to people just in, you know, about coffee, caffeine in general, like, oh, it doesn't affect me. And, I, and people just drink it whenever. But is that, is that even a thing? It's got to affect everybody in some way. For sure. And then, yeah, so caffeine can affect everybody, whether it's coffee or tea or whatever. But people, there's 50% of the population that have a fast metabolizing gene for caffeine and 50% who have a slow metabolizing gene for caffeine. So slow metabolizers would be jittery and feel the effects of caffeine because it doesn't clear your body as easily. Fast metabolizers can have a coffee and kind of keep moving forward and not really feel it too much. But either way, the way that caffeine works is it blocks your calm nervous system. So you have these receptors called adenosine receptors in your body. So caffeine blocks those. So it works to give you energy by blocking your relaxed system. See what I mean? It's not so much of like giving you energy. It's more so blocking the calm system to make you alert. So, and the half-life of coffee is about eight to 10 hours of caffeine, sorry. So that's why we say 10 hours before, because if it's still in your system, it's still going to be actively blocking those receptors. So you should try to have it 10 hours before you're trying to sleep if you don't want to impact your sleep at all. And you can just try it. Like we have patients try it out. Try to just have your caffeine before 10 hours of sleep and see how you sleep. You know, there's some other factors too we'll get into to make your sleep really good. But if you can avoid those ones and kind of follow that 10, 3, 2, 1 rule, that'll give you a little bit of a basis for setting yourself up for good sleep instead of just trying to see what happens every night. Yeah. Before we get off of the 10, 3, 2, 1, because we've kind of touched on all of them except for the three. So no food, but like if you are hungry, what can we eat? Can we eat something like ideally? And if we do, what what should it be that is still going to allow us to sleep? Or you're just saying do not eat food three hours before? Well, you can have a lighter meal, a lighter snack or something, you know, like something that's not going to be so heavy. The real reason is that if you have a really big or heavy meal before bed, all the blood's going to pool to your digestive tract. It's going to raise your core temperature of your body higher. The higher your core temperature, the worse sleep you're going to have. So temperature is a big factor. So if you don't have anything heavy in your system, your body doesn't have to break down much. The core temperature doesn't raise much and you can get into deep levels of sleep. The whole reason why people can get to deep levels of sleep with different styles of fasting, intermittent fasting that we've done with you and we do with a lot of patients is that you can get tremendous jumps in your deep sleep score by having your core temperature lower by not putting a big meal in three hours before. So we've had patients do that. They'll track it on their Apple Watch or their, their Whoop Band or whatever one they're using, and I'll have them purposely not have food three hours before, and we'll track their scores. We see a big improvement. I hope people take notes when they listen to this because I'm writing a bunch of stuff down here, like doing the testing with you, the saliva test, and then obviously I think following that 10 3 2, 1 rule is, is going to really help a lot of people. Another thing, obviously, that's huge right now in the media and I, I kind of want to get your stance on it. And let's say people have done all of this. Maybe they, they see someone like you or they go to a doctor and they recommend all this stuff and they just can't 
sleep? Like, do you advise if you have to medicate, medicate? What's kind of your take on that? And also the CBD stuff for sleeping. Yeah. So, you know, we're not opposed to medications. There's definitely a time and place for everything, you know, depending on the patient and the needs and whatever's going on, you may have to use different things. The latest evidence on sleeping medications is actually quite interesting and eye-opening. So the first thing that you have to know is that it basically knocks out the signaling in your brain and in your body for sleep. If you did a brain analysis on someone who's sleeping naturally through the night and someone who's on sleep medications, you can see a clearly distinct difference. So sleep med-induced sleep does not look like natural sleep when you're measuring it. It looks different. It's not the same kind of layout. So it's not creating natural sleep is one of the issues with it. The other more kind of eye-opening, alarming side of it is that there's actually an increased risk of mortality, increased cancer risk, increased infection risk with sleep meds. So there was a study done that showed similar populations taking sleep meds over time. There was a correlation study. Of course, it's not the perfect study, but it did correlate that between 10 and 15 sleeping pills in a year could increase mortality risk by two to three times. So there's definitely that correlation out there. There has to be more uh, research done to kind of exactly pinpoint exact causes because it is a correlation, not a causation study, but it does show that that connection there. So I guess my take on it would be to use it as a last resort if you have to. I mean, for our patients with sleep issues, the first thing we do is check their functional hormone pattern and what their circadian rhythm is doing. Because if you have high cortisol at night, no matter what else you're going to do, you're not going to be able to sleep. And then we knock that down naturally and we do that all the time with patients and we can remeasure that. That would be the first one. The second one is like a, called a worry journal or a brain dump. So before bed, you should kind of jot down your things that make you anxious, things that you're worried about just to kind of clear them out of your subconscious because we know that anxiety causes disturbed sleep. And then the basics too, right? Like, I mean, the sleep meds should be the last, but... You should definitely uh, follow the 10 3, 2, 1. You should get the temperature of your room really cool. Because like I was saying, the cooler your core temperature is, the better. So like what the research is showing between 65 and 69 degrees Fahrenheit is ideal for deep sleep because that will cool your core body temperature. And try not to wear too many like heavy pajamas or heavy things to bed. Try to keep your clothing very light so it allows your temperature to go lower for to hit those deep sleep levels. You can also take a hot bath before bed because when you get out of the hot bath, the immediate reaction is your body cools. All the cold air hits you and it drops your core temperature really quickly. So we actually have done that with our Olympic athletes when we've had like a short amount of time to train and get ready for a competition. We'll have them do hot baths at night just to make sure they get deep sleep and get the most of their sleep. And then make sure your room is a dark cave. So no blinking lights. You know, you may want to invest in like a blackout blind. It makes a tremendous difference. You want to think of your room as a cave. So a dark, cool cave, you want to mimic the night, right? You think about our ancestors, they would have you know, slept outside under the dark, pitch black sky in the cool temperatures. And they would have had super deep sleep, no electronics, obviously, no blue light, obviously. But those kind of things are essential. So cool, dark room, 10, 3, 2, 1. Sleep meds if you need to. Like if, you're, if you haven't slept in a number of days and you're struggling, you may need to get some sleep to function. But there's also a really a ton of good evidence on uh, CBT therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy for sleep. Like that would actually be my first go-to if someone's having really chronic issues and we've covered all the other basics. 
and we've optimized their functional hormone pattern, CBT therapy, I would be my next go-to before sleep meds. Really good evidence on improving sleep. What, like just briefly, what kind of evidence? So just showing that you can work through anxieties, you can work through different blockages that are happening during sleep, maybe traumatic events that are recurring and causing you to wake up, mainly from like the sleep disturbances point of view, like the anxiety point of view. And CBT is not going to have consequences to it, right? You're not going to see a, a correlation with increased risk of mortality or increased risk of death or increased risk of cancer or infection as you would with sleep meds, which is definitely being shown. Yeah. And I think I really like your approach, obviously, with stay away from meds, obviously, if you can and where you can just in general in every kind of category in life. I believe in that kind of school of thought as well. And I think if you're doing the stuff you mentioned, like it should help or you don't have to get to that point. And I just, the one thing I did mention too, when I, when we started, I did say like big in the media, the CBD oils, like, Mm. do you have a, like a take on that? Do you want to talk about that? Like, do you agree with it? Disagree? Well, there's a lot of research on CBD and it's growing every day, right? So it seems to be correlated with improved sleep. There needs to be more research done to find out all the exact mechanisms, but it seems to be helpful for calming people down, which again, could help with calming nervous system and improving sleep, right? Um, Most of us in today's day and age are so fight or flight dominated. Very few of us are rest, digest, parasympathetic, restorative type of activities, right? Everything is on, 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 right? And most people don't even sleep well. That's our only restorative activity and most people don't even do that well, right? So yeah, CBD has been shown to help with that for sure. And again, it's it's a low risk type of intervention doesn't seem to need too many side effects with it. So that could be an option as well. But I think you've got to know what's happening with your hormonal rhythms there, because if that's off, I mean, throwing everything at it is just going to be a patch over not fixing the underlying problems. So start with that baseline testing, right? Something like the saliva test you mentioned earlier. So again, with all this, like there's so much important stuff to get the optimal amount of sleep. Like let's talk about shift workers then. You know, someone like me who's working 24-hour shifts or, you know, like any really first responder, four on, four off schedule, whatever they're on, or even just shift workers in the industrial world, whatever it is. What can you do to get your seven, eight hours? Because let's, for example, first responders, middle of the night, you get a call. You might go back to sleep, get another call. So like, what do you do? Do you go home and nap? Like, what do you advise people to do? Yeah. I mean, I worked with one of the largest police departments for a couple of years and we worked a lot with this with the men and women there so the ideal situation is not to have a shift is the ideal but aside from that you've got to sort of make the best of it right so um, you want to kind of have some set rhythms and routine so your body will get used to that you want to go easy on the caffeine again think of that 10 hours before sleep type of thing and then with the with the night shift coming home you still want to have that hour or two of unwind period because especially a first responder, you finish your shift, it could have been a heavy shift, right? It could have been quite intense. So you want to have a couple of hours, let yourself unwind, maybe even an hour or so, and then get into your dark room, cave, cool temperature, and try to make the most of it. And we have a number of patients who are still getting there seven hours in after night shift. But you've got to make an effort to make your room a really dark cave, get the temperature down, even take a hot bath and get home if you've got to or a hot shower just to drop that core body temp to allow you to get there. But it's very possible. You just got to sort of make the best of both worlds. 
you've got to do what you got to do, right? I mean, if you don't have an option to switch off of the shift, then you've just got to make the best of it. So can you, like, let's say, come home in the morning, you know, you obviously got family, the whole bit, you don't get that hour, or maybe you just get the hour, you have a nap, or you just sit and do nothing. So should you be going to bed earlier, or just trying to just stick with, like, your regular bedtime as if you weren't doing shifts? Oh, you mean like that night? Yeah, like the next day, so you don't get to nap, you don't get to rest, and then you're exhausted at night, you just, do you go to bed? right away when you're tired, you know, like 7 p.m., let's say, or you try and stay up till 9 at night and start the day and then be able to get up the next day. Oh, to, oh, to restart it kind of thing? Yeah. It's not ideal in either situation. Like, you need a little bit of a recharge there because you won't be able to be functional. But in general, you don't want to be taking, like, naps past 3 p.m. if you're trying to sleep that night, depending on the timing of your shifts. But you want to sleep a little bit in the morning, get up and then try to get back onto your regular sleep schedule again. But yeah, if you're on shift work, I would say definitely make an effort to uh, set your room up in a way that's going to allow you to get deep sleep because a lot of people just have regular blinds with the light still coming through. And if your eyes detect the light, the signal is going to be mixed. It's going to be flight out, right? Stay up. So it's going to be hard to hit those deep levels of sleep. So definitely invest in like a blackout blind, and even like a night mask or, or something, because it will pay huge returns. And with the napping stuff too, like, so if you're not a first survivor, you just work in you know, normal shifts, like normal nine to five, whatever it is, is napping beneficial to people? Is it a bad thing? What's kind of so, optimal? Yeah. It's okay to do a nap here and there. I think the misconception is that if you do a bunch of naps, you can make up for the nighttime sleep, which is not the case. Like the most important part is that stretch of seven hours at night when all those physiological processes are happening, right? If you're going to take a nap during the day, try to make it before 3 p.m. and try to make it like about a half an hour. You know, and then one little trick with that too is you can have like a little bit of, like this is a, a green tea right here, but you can have a little bit of a caffeine before you nap because it takes about 30 minutes for it to kick in. So if you take a little bit before go lay down for a nap within 30 minutes, you'll be naturally kind of getting up and out of that cycle. Um, you don't want to start entering into all the deeper sleep cycles. If you're going to take a nap, you sort of just want to do a quick recharge of your body and then get back up. Now, if you wanted to increase your learning a little bit more, like let's say you're studying for an exam, then you can nap a little bit longer. So there's some evidence showing that a 60 minute, 90 minute nap, you'll start to tap into some of the learning centers of the brain. So let's say you just were studying all morning and then you want to take a nap just to kind of cement all that information. You could do like a little bit longer nap there and then get up. Like, but that would only pertain to if you're studying or trying to learn something. So 30 minutes is kind of our window for, for an absent before 3 p.m. So why, and in your experience, like why do people, you know, deem themselves as a, as a night hawk or I'm not a morning person? Is that just because all their levels are way off? Yeah, yeah. All human beings should be morning people and should be sleeping at night because we've evolved to, to live off the sun up and sun down, right? Imagine if you're living outside. When the sun comes up in the morning, it's going to be pretty hard to just keep sleeping through that, right? And when the sun goes down at night, it's pitch dark. You can't see anything. It's pretty hard for you to be a night hawk as one of your ancestors, right? You're pretty much going to be falling asleep at, when it goes dark, right? So... Humans are hardwired based on circadian rhythm. 
And that rhythm of sun up, sun down drives all your hormones throughout the day. And your hormones tell your body what to do. So we do a lot of work with people on measuring what's happening. What's your rhythm look like throughout the day? That's why with your saliva test, we do a morning sample when you wake up, see what your cortisol level is like, a noon sample, an afternoon and a night sample to see what that curve looks like. So if you have problems in that curve, it's not kind of human in nature. It's we've been sort of set up to fail. Artificial light, tons of caffeine, tons of stressors, and those curves are way off. Like I very rarely see someone with like a really good cortisol hormone curve that, and that cortisol curve drives your energy throughout the whole day. You know, it's rare for me to see someone who naturally has a really good curve. There's this testing, like it's so important to get all this testing done with you or, or just someone like in your field for people. It's like you said, if you go to you know a doctor or somebody else and they don't even start at like, I guess the beginning, let's get a baseline. Let's see where we're at. Right. And then you start trying even some of these, not even just the meds, but if you start trying some of these things that you've recommended, they might not even work properly. Right. Because you don't really know where the person's at. There's no benchmark. Yeah. In our experience, and I have four um, doctors on my team here, we're all naturopathic doctors and functional medicine doctors. So we do kind of these types of advanced lab tests with all of our patients. But yeah, I would say on our experience, the main thing is like anxiety, which is coming from stress hormones being burnt out or pushed too far out of whack. And that anxiety then creates disturbed sleep. So if we want to fix the underlying problem of that, then we go back to what are those stress hormones doing? How can we balance them out, which we can do very well. Like we did that with you and we can get everything optimized. And then we have an opportunity to apply the basics of sleep. So all those basics we talked about. And then after that, I mean, we see people sleep really well. And then your body gets used to a rhythm. When you start to get into a proper sleeping pattern and a proper rhythm, the body really likes that and it will maintain that. That's why it's important to have like, a set time you're going to bed at and a set time you're waking up at. So if you keep those in line, like let's say every day you get up at six o'clock, even though you don't have to go to work till 10 some days, try to get up at the same time and try to go to bed at around the same time. And that will allow your circadian rhythm to kind of line up a little bit more smoothly. And that's one of the reasons why we use that uh, Verilux light for you. So it's 10,000 units of light, which mimics sunlight. So the idea is you want to turn that on first thing in the morning to kickstart all those circadian rhythm hormones. So it kickstarts your cortisol, kickstarts everything. So people are awake and alert and ready to go and start their day. And if you do that routinely, then you create a strong morning rhythm to wake up your brain. Yeah, that light, the Verlux light is so good, like I said earlier. And yeah. Ours is a, an alarm clock in our room, but I think you mentioned you can get them, like put them in your kitchen, right? Yeah, the one I have, I just have in my kitchen. And when I go downstairs, I just flip it open. You just need about 10 or 15 minutes of indirect light from it. Just make sure the one you're getting is 10,000 lux. Lux is the unit of light. If it's less than that, then it won't mimic sunlight. It won't really be effective. So you've got to get one that's 10,000 lux or over. And then just put it up in your kitchen or wherever you get ready in the morning and have that indirect light hit you because your eyes are going to pick up that bright light. And that wakes up your brain and you'll have a better mood, better energy to start the day and a strong circadian rhythm to get all your processes working. Yeah. Simple tool. Yeah. It you really on is. Amazon yeah. Too. yeah. What was yours? Like 50 bucks on Amazon or 60 bucks on Amazon. Pretty, pretty Probably, cheap. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. As soon as you told me to buy it, I went and got it. Uh, yeah. It helped. Cause like, I think my stuff too, from way back was common. 
I was getting like, and you probably see this like three or 4 PM crash. For sure. Is that probably the most common time people kind of feel blah, like, oh, and then, yeah. and then they go and have coffee and we now learn sure. that caffeine 10 hours <laughs> before. Yeah. Yeah. Like a three to four crash is interesting because that's a cortisol crash. So that's the most common. So most common cortisol crashes are first morning. You should have a big response in the morning. If you have a small response, it means you're not, your body's not kicking in properly. So you're going to be tired in the morning, hard to get out of bed, hard to get up. Those are the people that are going to say, I'm not a morning person. I can't get up. And what happens is if you, if you can't get up for five years straight in the morning, then you start thinking, I just must not be a morning person. And then someone tells you, oh, you know, your father's like that or your grandfather was like that. And you're like, you know what? It's in my family. We're just not morning people. Like all humans should be morning people. And then as you build that rhythm, you can't wake up. And then if you have a big dose of caffeine in the morning, like say first thing in the morning, like most people do, for eight hours after you've had your caffeine in the morning, you're going to have a crash when it comes into your system at three or four. Or you could have an improper cortisol rhythm. And a lot of people have a dip in the afternoon right there. So what we do is correct that rhythm and get it going properly and let it kind of keep going the same way. Like for you now, once you've repaired that rhythm, we haven't had to do any work on that. It's just going the way it's supposed to. You just have to reset it. Yeah. You gotta stay on top of it for sure. Uh, I just have one other question too, actually, I just came to mind the effects of alcohol on sleep. And I think, I mean, you can't avoid it really. Like, like a lot of social drinking nighttime, right? Work functions. Is that obviously your ten, three, two, one window, right? Well, no food and all that. Like that kind of goes with the window of drinking. What should we do? What can we do? <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one because like a lot of people will have alcohol to to get to sleep, right? To fall asleep, but it will disrupt your deep sleep and REM sleep. So it'll make them shorter, or it may even take them away. Like it'll it'll impact those little win- those windows. So you may be able to fall asleep on alcohol, but then you're probably going to wake up a couple of hours later, a few hours later throughout the night. So you want to be balanced and have social events and have fun and kind of pick your spots with that kind of stuff. But I would say, you know, if you're having alcohol to fall asleep, then you should find a better strategy because that's going to make your quality of sleep very poor. Same with um, THC will do that. Nicotine will do that. And alcohol will do that. Those are the big three kind of sleep deep sleep and REM sleep disruptors. So yeah, I mean, if, if you've got a, a big day the next day, you're probably not going to want to have those ones before bed because your quality sleep is going to be off. And again, I, w- I would kind of hit the big basics first. Um, and you can reach out to us too if you want us to, if any of your listeners want us to send them sort of the basics again, but have a look on the uh, Instagram page. We put a lot of stuff on there too, so you can see. But yeah, I would say hit all those basics first, have your fun where you, where you want to. Just don't expect to have great sleeps that night or don't be surprised you may get may get away with it here and there like but if you're doing a few drinks every night you're probably going to have impacted sleep which carries over and carries over and you can't get that sleep back either like the sleep bank thing is not really a truthful analogy like you can't really catch up on hours later it kind of depends on what the quality of sleep is those nights so with that then is it is it possible yeah so someone's like i didn't sleep so i'll sleep in today you know now they get 10 hours or 11 hours, but they're still tired. And then they say, oh, well, I overslept. Like, is it possible to have to like oversleep to make you feel terrible? Cause your body is it just never resetting. It's more so that you're out of your rhythm, right? 
Okay. So if you're used to getting up at 7, 7.30, and now you sleep till 10, your body's going to be a little bit off. You might feel more tired, feel groggy, feel like you're out of your element a little bit. So that's why it's better to try to keep it roughly consistent. But yeah, like if you don't sleep well, like let's say all week long, Monday to Friday, you don't sleep well. And then you're thinking, I'm just going to push the pace all week and then I'm going to try to catch up on the weekend, get back to even. Well, you don't actually catch up on those things. And then like for, for men, for example, you'll see a huge drop in testosterone and male hormones with sleep quality issues and sleep deprivation issues over time. And that connects directly to our stress hormones because cortisol, DHEA, testosterone are on the same chain link of hormone conversion. So it's no wonder we see so many young guys now with like low testosterone. Like we see guys in their late 20s, early 30s, mid 30s showing low DHEA, low testosterone from what's happening on the stress hormone side. And then stress hormones out of whack is going to make you feel more anxious, more depressed. So... I think it all goes back to the stressors on our body and how to manage that to get sleep better and get mental health better, but also to for long-term health. So you don't have to use other strategies. You don't have to use sleep meds and different things so often, you know? Yeah, it's, it's funny too, the, like everything you're saying, like basically it started off with like, just get a benchmark test done, someone like yourself, and then work on everything for sleep. But some of the stuff we talked about, like, alcohol and, and having a cigarette, people think, oh, this relaxes me before bed. But what is it's really affecting you in a bad way for your sleep. And then the testosterone stuff too, right? Like these young guys going and getting, oh, I need testosterone boosters. My doctor said I have low testosterone. Like, no, you don't. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. And we're seeing that often. And you can restore that. You can boost testosterone, but you got to start take care of your sleep aspect, take care of your hormones, get things boosted up. And we do that all the time with patients. But yeah, just interesting connection with the sleep issue. And then people now are trending to have lower testosterone earlier in life. So previously, we used to see it, you know, age 45 and beyond, you start to see testosterone start to drop. Now we're seeing that drop happening earlier, like late 20s, early 30s, it's starting to drop. But you don't need to go and get a shot, a boost, right? Like work on... Like There's a lot of things you can do to restore that. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of things you can do to get that working properly. And if you really fix the underlying problems, you get a lot of other benefits from it too. You know, if you use a, a Band-Aid, you're going to have to keep using that Band-Aid forever. Whether it's a sleep med or a testosterone, you're going to have to kind of keep doing that to get the same effect or keep using more to get the same effect, which is the other problem, right? Yeah, like anything underlying issues in anything, right? Like in the mental health field, a lot of people are coping different ways when it's the trauma that was caused on them from many years ago and they never found that underlying issue of the trauma. So same kind of stuff that you're dealing with when it comes to sleep and the hormones and stressors. So I think I'm going to leave it there with you. Keep doing what you're doing, man. You've definitely helped me. And I know I got a lot of positive feedback on the podcast we did a while ago. So I encourage people to check that out. And then obviously check this one out. Where can we find you on social media and how can people get yeah. you? Yeah, so Instagram at phenom underscore doc. So P-H-E-N-O-M underscore D-O-C. Um, we have a Facebook page called Phenom High Performance Medicine. And then our website too, which is phenomhpm.com. And we try to put different information, the most relevant research, just the, uh, the stuff that's going to throw up the confusion for people. There's so much chatter out there with different things and a lot of it is not validated a lot of it doesn't have evidence behind it so we try to put uh, that stuff out there so people have the resources they need to actually help themselves 
So those three platforms, we try to put different things on and hopefully you guys can, uh, can learn something from today and take a couple tips away from today. Oh, absolutely. I know people will. I know I did. And people need to go speak to professionals. Don't just Google everything and go on Facebook and listen to different people's fasting methods and sleep methods and talk to a professional. It's so important. Someone like yourself. So uh, thanks again, man. You are the best. You're welcome. That was awesome. Thanks, Ryan. That's it for me on the Mental Edge Lifestyle Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Callum Callan. Thank you for joining us today on the Mental Edge Lifestyle Podcast. If you know someone who can benefit from being part of our community, share this episode with them so they too can continue to grow and sharpen their mental edge. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the show. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you like to listen. We would love to hear from you. Connect with us at mentaledge.ca. And until next time, remember, healthy mind, healthy life.